Thanks so much. Hey, thanks heaps for having me, guys. Um, these are the most comfortable seats of any church I have ever been to. I'm not even going to take it personally if you fall asleep. <laughs> um, it's, al- it's always a pleasure to be able to come and, and join people from different churches. And, um, and I believe that, that God's given me a message to share with, with the church, not uh, a church, but the church, the, the body of faith in, uh, across the board. Um, you, you see this picture here. This is that's my life today. We took this picture, I don't know, a few weeks ago, um, and I look at look at that photo, and that's more than I could have ever dreamed of. More than I could have ever have dreamed of. When I was seventeen years old, eighteen, seventeen, eighteen years old, I remember I was I was a I was a heroin addict. I was uh, I was unemployable. I had a year eight education. I had literally nothing going for me. And I remember I was uh, living at my uncle's house, sharing a, my bedroom with my brother, who we, we were over, we had nowhere else to live. And I remember just being at a place where I, 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 I just couldn't go on anymore. And I had this dream, and it was a being married to a girl that liked me just for me, that I could trust, uh, my own ki- two kids, two boys, um, my own house, not not like a rented one where they keep kicking me out of, but my own one, uh, a job that I didn't hate, not even a job I liked, just a job that I didn't hate. And, and I remember looking at this life and, and it was so impossible for me. It, it was so out of the realms of it ever happening that I gave up and I filled a needle full of bleach and injected it trying to kill myself. Now I look and that's that life that I could never have hoped for is my reality today. What I want to do this morning is I want to share my journey with you and I also really want to share a lot of the how as well. Um, so I grew up in a good home. Everything was good. We, My parents came to God out of drugs. We moved. Uh, we actually had to, we fled New South Wales to Perth and start, my parents started again uh, when I was two um, because my dad, he, because of consequences to his actions, he had his house burnt down. And I th- uh, he was—he had to leave the state for legal reasons. That's probably not the right way of putting it, but whatever. To avoid legal reasons, probably is more to the point. Um, and but we we started again, and and, and but they they started well. My parents started well. They they both went to uni. They both, um, you know, gave us good upbringings. They we were in church every single Sunday growing up. We, we played sport on the weekends. My dad was my hero. He was at every, he would take me to training every Wednesday night as a little boy and he was at my games, my hockey games every single Saturday without fail. I don't remember one game that he wasn't there. Um, and I was at, went through school. I was a, an A student through primary school. I won the champion, uh, for the athletics for each age group, each age division. 
and I had a dream of going to the Olympic Games. And in my mind, that was lock, stock, going to happen. I went to high school on a sports scholarship, and everything was on track. And then at the age of 13, my parents separated, and I developed a disease in my knees, and I couldn't run anymore. So in a really, really short space of time, my whole world was just tipped upside down. I, I just didn't know where I belonged. I didn't know where I fitted in. I didn't. Home was a horrible place to be. My mum was distraught. Um, school was a horrible place to be. I never liked school any, anyway. But the only thing that got me through school was sport. And I, I couldn't run it. I couldn't do that anymore. All of my friends at school were from the uh, scholarship program that I was in. And all of a sudden, I just found myself with nowhere to fit in. I, I didn't feel I fitted in anywhere. I started to hang out with my older brother and his mates, uh, just trying to fit in, just trying to find somewhere to belong. And that, they took me in and really made, made me feel, you know, I was, I was one of the guys. Except I didn't really feel like I was one of the guys because they were smoking pot and binge drinking and doing other crime and things. And I was never really into that. I was a good kid. I grew, I grew up in church. I, I, uh, I actually loved God growing up. I loved being in church. I, uh, I knew right from wrong. My parents raised me to know right from wrong, and I knew right from wrong. I, but I wanted to fit in more than anything else. Uh, I was very disillusioned with my Christian faith. My, uh, with my dad leaving, I was sort of thinking, hang on, the Bible says don't get divorced. And here my parents had separated, and I was just seeing a lot of stuff. Really, I was seeing the humanity of my parents. But as a young boy, I, I couldn't articulate that. I, I, I didn't have the, uh, the the mental capacity to process that that humans fail, and I and I really saw it as God failing me. And um, it didn't help that I got kicked out of the Sunday school class for pulling a knife on a kid, and so that was sort of all around that time. I, I just I, I just stopped going to church. I stopped doing my schoolwork, uh, and I and I just started to just to rebel and hang out with these guys. Except I didn't really feel like I fitted in because I wasn't into drugs. I had no desire whatsoever to try try drugs. I grew up with a, um, I, I grew up in a neighbourhood where there were a lot of drugs around. It was normal. It was nothing attractive about it. Um, I grew up in a family where my aunties and uncles were heroin addicts. And there was literally nothing that, that appealed to me about it whatsoever. I, I was so focused on my, my sport and my health growing up that I wouldn't even hardly eat so, drink soft drink or eat, eat lollies and stuff. And, and I didn't want to be pushing like, you know, I was one of those kids that would be, I remember once we helped my uncle, we found a packet of his cigarettes and like ripped them up and chucked him in the bin. Couldn't understand why he was upset with us for helping him. But, you know, I was that kid. And... And then now all of a sudden all my mates are doing drugs and I'm, and, and I'm not, and I, and I just, I just, honestly, I just didn't feel like I was one of the guys. We're listening to a lot of hip hop music and this music was saying that drugs are cool, violence is how you get respect, and it's appropriate to disrespect women. And, and this is how we were, we, we, we were looking up to these guys and we were modeling our life on these people, on this media. And I, to be really honest, I felt like a bit of a tryhard because I wasn't doing drugs. And then one, one day, I was 13 years old, I made a decision that 
I was going to try pot. There was a session every afternoon at the bus stop on my way home. And I was going to try it. I wasn't going to like it because drugs are stupid. They wreck your life. All of that sort of stuff they teach you in school. And, but at least when the bong got passed my way next time, it wasn't because I was a chicken that I was turning it down. Uh, it wasn't because for any other reason except I didn't like it. Now, to make it really clear, these friends of mine never teased me for using, for not using. They had never done anything to belittle me. They'd never done anything to pressure me into trying, to, to, to trying drugs. But, I just needed to belong. I needed to be just like the other guys. And that afternoon, I tried pot. And two things happened that that morning, or that afternoon rather. The the first thing was what I'd hoped. I really did feel like I belonged. I really did feel like I was one of the guys. The second thing that happened, I was not prepared for. Uh, I got high and I liked it. All of a sudden, the pain of my dad leaving was gone. The disappointment of losing my Olympic dream was gone. And for a little while, I felt okay. And I remember clearly having the thought that very first time I tried marijuana, if I can just keep feeling like this, everything will be okay. I was literally addicted the very first time I tried it. Now, some people will tell you marijuana is not addictive. Those that, that's the biggest pile of rubbish you will ever hear in your life. It was just, and, and that went on. But I, from that decision... I thought if I could just keep feeling like this, that that meant I wanted to stay high. I was 13 years old and I had no way of paying for pot. So I started to sell for the guys, that my friends, the older guys that I was hanging around. And I would sell a certain amount and that meant I would get a certain amount for free. And But the other, th- the other thing I had thought at that point was, if this is how good pot is, I wonder how good all the other drugs are. And I went through and I started to experiment with, with speed and ecstasy and binge drinking and acid and all of this stuff. And, and a weekend for me looked like just getting off my face on everything I could get my hands on. And a weekday, a weekday looked like waking up, smoking pot, smoking pot at lunchtime at the bus stop and before bed. This is at 13 years of age, 13, 14, right through the rest of school. And that, that was, that became my normal. Around the age of 16, or at the age of 16, I, the pot wasn't doing it for me anymore. That feeling that had made me feel okay when I was getting stoned, wasn't, I, I wasn't okay. It didn't matter how much I smoked. I, I, it didn't give me that feeling of, of, of everything is okay. And I, and I knew that it meant I needed to, to use, start using a harder drug. Using, using, and my mates had started to shoot up. They were shooting heroin and speed. But, and again, they'd never pressured me to do it. They'd never even done it in front of me. In fact, they were the opposite. They were saying, Jacob, if I ever find out you're on the needle, I'm going to flog you. They told everybody, don't sell to Jacob. Don't sell heroin to Jacob. And, and no one that I, none of the guys would, would touch me. And so I went behind their backs with another guy from my year and, uh, and scored some speed. And I shot up for the first time. Two weeks later, I shot heroin. And I had that exact same feeling, not the same high, but the same feeling as when I was 13 and tried marijuana for the first time, that if I could just keep feeling like this, everything will be okay. And again, I was addicted the very first time I tried it. And this went on, and again, I started to sell to to pay for my habit. And then this went on for about a year before the heroin stopped working. And by stopped working, I mean it stopped making me feel okay. It it stopped covering the pain. It it stopped... 
whatever the problem was inside of me became bigger than the high that I could get from the heroin. And I remember I was there one night, uh, one afternoon, sorry, driving, coming home. I had a pocket full of heroin. I, and everything was... I was at the point where everything should have been good. I grew up, when I started hanging out with these guys at 13, trying to fit in, we had wanted to be little thugs, little gangsters and drug dealers and all of this stuff. And, and now I was, was doing that and reasonably successful for a 17-year-old I was. And all the drugs that I could use, my, my friends were all older than me and they all looked out for me and if, if on the odd situation where I didn't have drugs, I would just go into a drug dealer's house, take their drugs and walk out. And, and even if though they were older and everything than me, they, they wouldn't touch me. They couldn't touch me. And so I, I had everything that I thought I wanted, but it just didn't seem to matter. It, it didn't do it for me. And I realized that now here I was with even a bigger problem on top of having no no education, on top of hating my life, I was addicted to heroin. And I'd never heard of one person getting off heroin. I, I'd been taught that once you're a junkie, you're always a junkie. It was what I'd seen. I still had aunties and uncles that were uh, on, her- on heroin or on methadone. I actually still do today. Um, and the, it was, I, I thought, uh, my, now my friends are starting to go to prison. They're starting to die from overdoses. They're starting to get bloodborne viruses. Hepatitis C in particular was rampant through basically everybody I knew. Um, and I'd already been put in Greylands Mental Institution for a drug-induced psychosis. Uh, my, my future did not look good. And I, I, I was going home and I just thought, why wait for it? And I got together all the heroin I had left to sell and and I shot it up. Um, it it didn't, and, and I'd hoped to overdose. I should have overdosed. Uh, it didn't, obviously. Um, but, and I was again put in Greylands Mental Institution. And, and when I came out of there, nothing changed. Um, fast forward two more years, I was at a party one night. And I... We're just using drugs and drinking just like any other time. We went back to my friend's house and I wanted to kick on. They wanted to crash. So I had one more shot and went to sleep. And the next thing I knew, I woke up in hospital. Do we have that picture? I woke up like this and I didn't think anything of it because... This was the late 90s and during, there was a, a big heroin epidemic through Perth and people were dying all the time. Uh, people were, were going over all the time. And I just thought, I've just gone over, no worries. But then my dad walked into the room and that was weird because he lived in Canberra. And I was trying to figure out what had happened. And what had happened was at my friend's house, I'd gone to sleep. We'd all gone to sleep. Then someone woke up my friend and they said, can you come and wake up Jacob? He's snoring too loud. I can't sleep. I can't wake him up. Can you come and wake him up so I can get to sleep? He's come out and heard this noise that they said was snoring. And he's instantly recognized this noise. 
It wasn't snoring. It was gurgling. I was drowning. He recognized his noise because a year earlier, he had been at a friend's house just a couple of doors down, a guy we'd see every day. And they were just using, like shooting up and watching movies. And, and then this guy falls asleep. My friend thinks nothing of it. He starts to snore. My friend thinks nothing of it. And after a little while, he realizes something's not right, tries to wake him. He won't wake up. He rings the ambulance. This guy, the ambulance gets there. This guy's dead, 18 years of age. I had given that guy his first shot two years earlier. He, he, he recognized that I was making the exact same noises. And that, that man's name was Peter. As Peter. That guy's death saved my life. To understand where we were at and when I've woken up, how I just didn't care. My, when, and this guy's name's important, Greg. Greg's the guy that rang the ambulance for me. When, when Greg had rung me up to tell, when I'd found out about Peter dying, he'd rung me and said, Hey, Jacob, Peter's dead. And I said, Too bad. I was going to kill him myself. He had done something to me and, and, and he said, anyway, that's not why I'm ringing you. I've stolen all of his gear. Do you want to get on? And, and that's where things were at. So when I've woken up in this hospital, I really did not care. I had such a little value for my life. To really understand where I was at was when my dad left, I, I couldn't understand. As, as a 13-year-old boy, I could not understand how he could do that to us, to me and my two brothers. I'd, I'd, I truly believe that if he had really loved us, he, he could not have done that. And I'd actually made the decision from, from that logic, I made a decision that if he doesn't love me, then I mustn't be worth loving. I'd actually, from, from my dad leaving, I, I'd gotten a message I was of no value. And I'd just gone through my life to, from that point to, uh, from that, from that point on, just with truly believing I was, I was of, of zero value. And I had honestly believed that I was just gonna just keep using drugs until I died. So I've woken up in this hospital bed. And they've come and they're talking to me and I find out that I'd been in a coma for a week. When Greg had recognized that I wasn't snoring and I was drowning, he rang the ambulance. By the time the ambulance got to his house, I was dead. They resuscitated me. I died again multiple times through the night. My mum was rung and she was told that you need to come into the hospital now. This will be the last chance to see Jacob while he's still alive. He will not make it through the night. She came in. They gave her uh, some paper to sign asking her to donate my organs. She wouldn't do it, which I'm very grateful for. And and, and I made it through the night. And I made it through another night. I didn't realize this. Then I developed pneumonia uh, during that that time, which also came close to killing me. And then... Long story short, after a week, they, they brought me out of this coma and they told my mum not to have any hope. They told my parents that it's, realistically he's not going to have any brain function. That no, cause nobody had been at, the, at Lake Junilup emergency. Nobody had had a blood oxygen level that low for that long and had ever survived, including people that had ended up with brain damage. Uh, so basically they were, they were saying, you need to be prepared for Jacob to be a vegetable. When I've woken up, there was no discernible brain damage. My wife might tell you different. But I've woken up and, and, and they've, they've, 
started asking me questions and I'm answering them. And then they tell me that I won't be able to walk again for a little while. I don't have to learn how to walk again. To really understand where I was at, I've actually got a scar on the back of my head because my, my dad was a nurse and, and he, he's explained to me that it's because of poor bed care. Basically, they, because they, they had no, I, I was not on their, there was no way in their processing that they thought I was going to live, basically. So they didn't even bother turning me when I was, when I was in the coma. But they did put these stockings on my legs to stop deep vein thrombosis. I guess they thought they could use some of the veins. And, and I remember they've told me I wouldn't be able to walk again for a little while. And, I, and I've hopped out and I've just listened to them politely, let them finish talking. And, and then as soon as, and I, once they're done, I'm thinking, I'm out of here. Like, um, so what? I've overdosed. I'm in hospital. It's time to go home. And, and I hopped out of the bed and I just remember, and I, I, I don't, I don't know why it's so clear in my mind, but these stockings that they put on me, they had a, a bit of elastic band that come around tight at the bottom and left this hole about 20 cent piece size. And I remember so clearly putting, pushing off to the left side of the bed, my feet touching the ground and it was gray lino. Uh, like, and it was cold just on the 20 cent piece size holes. Even as I'm saying, I can feel it right. I, I can feel it on, on my feet. And I remember the sensation of cold coming through those two holes. And, and then as I stood up, my legs just gave way and, and I just collapsed. And as you can see, I was connected up to machines. So stuff was pulled down and, and then they put me back into the bed. And that's when I sort of realized something's not right. And uh, over the, course of the next week so I was in a coma for a week took me another week to walk again I had to learn to breathe again as well the day I could walk I walked out of that hospital people look at that picture and they think was that your rock bottom moment and they've asked me that many times that that must have been when you realized that you needed help that you needed to turn your life around when I was in that hospital a counselor came just talked to me and she said Jacob you need help. And I, and I said, what, what do I need help for? And she said, for your drug problem. And I said, lady, I don't have a problem with drugs. I like using drugs. And this went on for two more years. I'm now 21 and I'm living in a two-story place. There's drugs going, we're selling a lot of drugs by now. By this point, I'm not paying for them anymore. They're just coming, they're just coming through the house and I'm, I, they get literally just supplied the whole time. There's a party every night. And then one night, well, one, one night there was, someone was selling some ecstasy. I didn't normally use ecstasy and I didn't know the guy and I had to pay for it. And the only money I had on me was uh, my rent money, which was due the next day. So I pulled some of that out and bought this pill. And I thought, no worries, I'll just get the extra $50 tomorrow, not a worry in the world. The next day, for some reason, I didn't just go and get that money. I went and asked my mum for it. Now, to understand, I, I had never asked my mum for money. Not, not, since I was in, not since I was a little boy in school had I asked her for money. Um, and she, she wasn't going to give money to a drug addict. But she put it into my real estate agent's account. But she said to me, Jacob... I don't want to talk to you again until you're in rehab. 
And I ended up going down to Teen Challenge. I'm sure some of you guys are familiar with it. I know some of you guys are very familiar with it. Uh, and, and, I, and I went down there and I remember I got off the bus and, and I'll tell you a little bit how I got down there. We've got some time. Famous last week. You don't ever want to hear a preacher say that. We have not much time. Uh, um, I, when my mum had said, I don't want to see you get into in rehab, I thought, seriously, once you're a junkie, you're always a junkie. You don't get off this. I'd only heard of one person ever getting off heroin, and I didn't believe her when she said it. I was at a thing, and she was talking about how she'd gone off her- gotten off heroin, and she'd gone to Teen Challenge, and it was a God place, and God had helped her. And I remember I was sitting up the back, and I said, B.S., there is no, once a junkie, always a junkie. I said, she either never have a, never, never had a habit or she still is a, clo- a closet junkie. And I'd gone to this place to go, but I thought for my mum, I'll go and give it a crack. It's not going to work, but at least I'll get my tolerance down and I'll be able to feel drugs again for a little while. And I'm at, I've gone to this, uh, to, to the clinic and they've, they've, they've said I've got to get my use down to a certain amount before I can go into the, detox center the medically supervised detox center and i'm thinking if i could get my if, if i could cut my use down i wouldn't need you people and and so basically and i was like you have not, no idea how much drugs are going through my house every day i can't just not do them and i've ended up and anyway but she said okay that's cool we'll just come back next week and i've gone back the next week and there's a different lady there and I said, no, I don't want to talk to you. I want to talk to my normal lady. I was such a polite young man. And, and she said, and, I, and she said, oh, well, I'm, your normal lady's sick. I'm in from the outside. I just want to help, you know, how can I help? And I think, hang on, this lady didn't seem like she was as switched on as the other lady. I think, well, maybe I can lie to her and she'll put me into the detox clinic. So she starts asking me some questions like how much I'm using. I'm lying through my teeth, telling her I'm hardly using anything. And, all of these things. And she says, I think Teen Challenge might be good for you. And suddenly I remembered that girl talking about it being a God place and all of this. And I'm, are you, and I say to this lady, are you a Christian? Are you trying to push God on me? Now, I'd never at any point sort of made the decision, hey, I, I don't believe in God anymore. I'd never made the decision. But somewhere along the line, it, it had stopped being part of my, my reality. It stopped being something I, it, 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 it just wasn't on my radar. And she's like, no, 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 we'll find you somewhere else. But in that split second between me saying, you're trying to push God on me and her saying, no, no, no. In that split second, I remember thinking, it's like things slowed down for a little while. And I, and I had a little moment and, and I, it was like, I needed a miracle. I knew I needed a miracle. I didn't even want to stop. I knew I needed to stop. I knew my life sucked. I knew all of this, but I didn't want to stop. I, it's all I knew from, I was now 21, was I, I'd been basically high the entire time since I was 13. All I knew was that lifestyle. And for the last eight years, it was like almost half of my life at that point. And, and in that split second, you're trying to push God on me and no, no, no. And that trying to push God on me, I'm like, hang on. I need a miracle. And I prayed one of those silent, instant little prayers and was like god if you're real you can help me stop wanting to use drugs I said if you do that i will serve you for the rest of my life she's like no 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 we'll find you somewhere else and i'm like no nah, give me give me the god place and she's like no 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 and i'm like no nah, give me the god place 
And I don't really remember how it happened, but I've ended up down at Teen Challenge. And, and there's a 10-hour bus trip. And all the Teen Challenge people, you're like freaking out already because you've done that trip so many times. And it's just like, it's horrible. And I'd just done this awful bus trip. I hadn't slept the night before. I'd been up with my mates. And um, I'd done the bus trip. And then this little Vietnamese guy picks me up. This little Christian-looking, clean-cut, all of this. I'm like, oh, what a waste of my time. And I'm just thinking, oh, you are kidding me. This guy looks like he hasn't even tried pen at all. How can he help me? And I just seriously felt like hopping right back on that bus and going back. And, and unfortunately, the bus wouldn't take me back. Otherwise, I think I would have been on it. And anyway, I got chatting with this guy as the drive, drive out to the center. And it turns out that he, he'd been in the Vietnamese gangs. He'd been a heroin dealer as well. And he'd been just like me. And to look at him, you would have no idea. And that was the moment that hope came alive again. That was the moment I thought, hang on. If it, if it can happen for him, it can happen for me. There's a long story from there to now. Can we go back to that family picture? But from that bus ride and that decision to that picture taken just a few weeks ago, like there's a lot of, like God's been really good to me. Like he's been really, really good. But I don't want you to just think that I came to God and it was all better. Because that was not the truth. It's like I came to God and it's like then my problem started. It's like, well, before they were there, but I could like push a little button and they weren't there. And now I didn't have my magic button anymore. And I had to they'd be very present with my problems. And I had to learn about who I was and what made just just and, and go through just this this journey of getting healthy. And but what I really wanted to, to break it down a little bit. I, I'll try, hopefully, I'm going to do this quite succinctly because from that hospital bed, from that bus to to this amazing family that that God has blessed me with tremendously. It wasn't just like a free gift. It wasn't, it wasn't. It was like God said, I've got this amazing life for you here. And for no other reason except I love you. But then it's like, now come and get it. It's like, you got to come and get it. There's a story in the Bible where the, the Israelites, they were God's chosen people, set apart. God said, hey, guys, I choose you for no reason whatsoever, just this free love, this I just choose you. And, and he selected him. It's called grace. He just said, hey, you guys, and I want you to come. And he said, I've got this wonderful land for you. It's flowing with milk and honey. That sounds sticky and horrible to me, but whatever. Apparently back then that's an attractive sort of proposition. He says, you're going to have houses you didn't build Vineyards you didn't plant. You'd be moving into cities that you did not have to invest in to establish. And he paints this amazing picture, this amazing promise for them. But can I tell you, it did not arrive in their Christmas stocking. 
It wasn't like on their birthday they just got given these cities. In fact, it took the second generation before they did what they had to do to get the promise. The first generation sat back waiting for it to come into their Christmas stockings. They said, great, God's promised this awesome life. There's a picture there. It's like, okay, great, God's promised me that amazing life. Now sit back and wait for it. It doesn't work like that. The scripture tells us, uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. I like how the, the Passion Translation puts it. So above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and, and the righteousness that proceeds from him. Then all of these less important things will be given to you abundantly. He's saying, guys, I've got this abundant life for you. I've got this amazing transformation. I've got this, this everything you need, everything you, it's there. You've just got to come and get it. A lot of the time we get a little bit too super spiritual with the promises of God. We, we get to the place where we sit back and wait for it to happen. But that's not how he works. In uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, it says, the spiritual did not come first, but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. Can I tell you, I was sitting at my two-story house with party central, everything that you think you could want, miserable. And if I did not get on that bus, my life would not have changed. When I went to Teen Challenge, if I didn't do what the mentors told me I needed to do, my life would not have changed. If I had not have given myself my life wholeheartedly to God, my life would not have changed. If I had not have laid down things one after the other, my life would not have changed. God has got this amazing life for you. But it's not going to be in your stocking on Christmas morning. It won't be. So above all, constantly chase the realm of God's kingdom. God's saying, guys, if you put me first in your life, things are going to work out. If you put my plan first in your life, things are going to work out. I believe our biggest mistake in the church is we pray too much. And I'm all for praying, but I suggest we do a bit more of our praying on our feet. I suggest we do a bit more of our praying while we're working. I suggest we do a bit more of our praying while we are operating. There is a time for your prayer closet, there is. And believe me, I, I pray more than probably most people that I know in my prayer closet. There is a time for that. But if you don't go out and do the things you need to do, all the praying in the world will not help you. It will not help you. God puts things in place, systems in place. You see, we can, the, the, the second temptation of Jesus was in the, he was in the wilderness and Satan took him to a high point and said, throw yourself off the temple and the angels are going to catch you because it is written. Uh, he'll command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of their ways. They'll bear you up in the hands so will not strike your foot against the stone. There was this thing that was written. 
And Jesus is like, no. There's also a place that says, don't test the Lord your God. Don't leave your part undone and just expect God to do his part. And I believe that my journey is something that we can all take away. You might not be struggling with drug addiction, but I can guarantee you, it doesn't matter where you are in life, there are things ahead of you that you need, want, challenges you've got to break through, things that, that where a breakthrough is needed. We sang an amazing song as we finished the worship uh, this morning. It was saying, heaven come down. And I tell you, church, Jesus taught his, Jesus himself when his disciples said, hey, how do we pray? He said like this, our, king, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That was the second thing in his priority of how we should pray. Kingdom come. He wants to get things done on earth, guys. But he's saying, hey, I need you to do it. He's like, I, I can't just do it. I put you in. It says that the heavens belong to him, but the earth he has given to man. It's like this. If you're renting a house from me, I can't just go in and change your taps. But if you ask me to, I can. But I don't. And there's certain things that you've got to do to see the kingdom come. But Jesus said, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and then these things will be added to you. We've got to stop waiting for these things just to come to us. We've been given instructions, clear instructions in the Word of God, clear instructions about how we live, clear instructions about how we worship, clear instructions about how we do relationship, clear instructions about how we work, clear instructions about how we handle our finances, clear instructions about how we manage our bit. There's so much. And God's saying, hey, do it and I'll bless it. But he's also saying, Jacob, if you stay on that couch, I'm not going to turn your life around. You need to get on that bus. You need to come and submit to the, to the, to the mentors at Teen Challenge. You need to, when you finish Teen Challenge, you need to get plugged into a church. You need to be reading your Bible. You need to be uh, working hard in your job. You need to be treating your wife right. You need to be, these, otherwise it's not going to work. Otherwise you don't get to hear. The Apostle Paul put it like this in Romans 8, 28. I'm loving the passion, by the way, the passion translation. If you're not into it, get on it. It's awesome. So we're convinced that every detail of our life is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his designed purpose. For he knew all about us before we were born, and he destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son. This means the son is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. Having determined our destiny ahead of time, he called us to himself and transferred his perfect righteousness to everyone he called. And those, and those who possess his perfect righteousness, he co-glorified in his son. So what does this mean? If God has determined to stand with us, tell me, who then could, stand to get, could ever stand against us? For God has proved his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as a sacrifice for us all, he, he certainly won't withhold from us anything else he has to give you. We see here that God gave us Christ. He gave us everything. 
You see, from that point on, guys, if I'm going to do that for you, there is nothing else I won't do. There's nothing else I won't do. You see, when I went down to Teen Challenge, I left behind a drug house. Everything I had was stolen. It didn't belong to me. I took one suitcase full of clothes. Most of them were stolen or or had been swapped for drugs. I went through the Teen Challenge program and I worked on staff there for two years. And then I felt God call me. I I had a vision and it was a a black door. It was a door and it was open, but it was pitch black outside. And, And God I felt him say, I've got some op- you've got some options. You can stay here and do this, or you can come through that door to the unknown. And I'm 24, 24 years old, 25 years old, 26. Gosh, I should know that. Let's say mid-20s. I, I had no mortgage, no kids, no wife, nothing. I'd gone from one suitcase to two suitcases, and tell you what, when I saw that black doorway, the unknown, all I saw was adventure. And I thought, man, I'm on that. I just thought, yeah. Fast forward, I went through that door and God was amazing. Went long story, but we uh, were asked to pastor the church that we were in. And I was the pastor of that church for 10 years. At the end of last year, it was another black door, if you will. And I felt God calling me out. And I'm like, get behind me, Satan. I, I Honestly, I didn't know it was God. I, was, I, I didn't want it to be God. It was a good, I was in a great, great job, great position. Everything was great. But he's calling me out. And, and I didn't go down without a fight, I'm ashamed to say. But eventually, I came to the place where I thought, you know what, God? You've been faithful to me up to now. You've never let me down up to now. Every time you've called me to do something crazy, you, you've been there and you've backed me to the hilt. And I've never been one who wouldn't do what God said because I'm such a firm believer in seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. That's how I got this far. It's how I got out of addiction. That's how I changed my life. And what, how, who am I to, to not keep doing that? And so I made that decision so this time I've got a wife, three kids, a mortgage, and I have to leave behind a, a, a well-paying job, a company car, a company phone, a position, uh, a place of res- a respected position in my community, and 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 but we're left with that option, where it's almost like, okay, Jacob, do you believe what you preach? And can I tell you that this last year has been the most fun I've had in as long as I can remember. We've had our ups and our downs, but I'll tell you what, guys, it's been fun. It's been fun. I, I've loved life more than I can remember. This, it, it, there's that place where if you're just doing what he says, when he says it, it truly is this, this life that the Apostle Paul described like this. He certainly won't withhold anything from us. He won't. And guys, I'm, we're all in different places in our life and we've all got different stuff going on. 
some of you are actually probably just a room this size, I'm, I'm assuming. Some of you guys are actually struggling with addiction like I used to. And God can get you from there to here. He can get you from that place to the place that you wanted, that you feel called to be. Some of you guys, it's just your marriage sucks. It used to be great or it never even was great, but it sucks. Some of you guys, it's your kids that are addicted. Some of you, it's your kids are doing risky stuff, stupid stuff. Some of you, it's a health issue. Some of you, it's a work issue. Some of, some of you, God's calling you to step out and start your own business. Some of you, God's calling you to step out and study. Some of you, God, God's calling you to stay where you are even though you don't want to. Yeah, some of you thought you had your word from God before. Yeah. But no, sometimes, it's the, sometimes the hardest step is staying. It doesn't matter where you are. We've all got those things where we've got to be able to stop and say, okay, God, yes. And not just with our mouths, with our hearts and with our actions. Because I promise you, I promise you, I promise you that he who did not withhold his only son, how much more will he give us everything else? God is not there trying to be stingy with you. He has got the most amazing life for you and me. He just wants to give it to you. He says, I want, do you know what that means when the scripture says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? It means that God wants heaven reflected on earth. Heaven's reality to be earth's reality. That's what he's saying. He says, I need men and women who will make heaven's reality earth's reality. He says, as you do that, all of this will be added to you. I'm just going to ask we all bow our heads because I believe that God, he wants to connect with people. And I know that some people, we're going to open up the altar shortly. And we're going to pray with you. And we've got a prayer team here. And Pastor Mike's a person that I've got a tremendous amount of respect for. I've known him for the better part of 20 years. And he's a man that I go to and ask advice from and have given permission to speak into my life. So I know that the team he's selected are people that will be effective ministers. In a moment, we're going to give you that opportunity. But before we do anything, I don't know where you're at with God. Just with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're not right with God, now's your chance. For me, it was sitting in a classroom at the Teen Challenge Center down in Esperance. And... The paper said, in front of me said, do you want to make Jesus the leader of your life? It took me three days to sign that paper, to say, to tick that box and say yes. But that essentially was the question in front of me. Do I want to make Jesus the leader of my life? Basically what it was saying is, do you want to be somebody that follows Jesus? Do you want to be somebody that's right with God? Are you right with God this morning? Do you know where your eternal destiny lies? If you're not, 
I'm just going to invite you just to slip your hand in the air and we're all going to pray. Just slip your hand in the air as a, just as a sign saying, hey, I want to get right with God. One moment longer. See that hand over there. You see that hand back there. One moment longer, guys. See those hands there. Yeah, see that hand there. One moment. Thank you, Lord. Church, we're going to pray. And if you, I want all of us to join in here and, and, and just repeat after me. But if you're praying that prayer for the first time or you're coming back to God, just pray it and mean it with all of your heart. And God's going to do a miracle inside you. Right, repeat after me, guys. Dear God, I choose to follow you. Forgive me for living life my own way. Wash me clean. Walk with me for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you made that decision for the first time or you're coming back to God after a while, connect with some of the team here. They'll, they'll help you. This is day one of that journey. Amen. Give God another clap. Great words.